Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Your Money. This is Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin. As widely anticipated, the Federal Reserve left its benchmark interest rate unchanged during last night's FOMC meeting. They did signal that borrowing costs will likely stay higher for longer after one more hike this year. If the Fed goes ahead, this will make a full dozen hikes since policy tightening started back in March 2022. But what does last night's meet mean for U.S. markets, bond investors, and us here in Asia. Meanwhile, we also turn our attention to the IPO market. We're seeing signs of a potential heating up, say some, amid the blockbuster arm Instacart latest debut. We also talk about Clavia this morning. Now, while the global IPO market seems to have struggled amid rising interest rates and uncertainty, we've seen some tech companies choosing this time to list. Does this represent an inflection point maybe for the U.S. IPO market? We're finding out with Arun Pai, investments team at the Monks Hill Ventures is uh, where he sits. Arun, how are you this morning? Good morning. Good morning, Michelle. I'm very good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thank you for joining us. The Federal Reserve Chair, Jerome Powell, made it clear that the central bank is close to done raising interest rates, but his colleagues delivered a message. Uh, borrowing costs must remain higher for longer amid renewed strength in the economy. I think Jay Powell himself said, you know, we shouldn't look at what the central bank does as a, uh, you know, basis for a plan of our own. What do you make of the Fed's latest interest rate decision and the tone of the messages coming through? Yeah, I think uh, it was a Citibank economist, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he sent out a note to a whole bunch of customers of theirs and he used the phrase uh, unambiguously hawkish. And I think that pretty much hits the nail on the head, right? For a while, I mean, on your show, we've discussed this for quite a few years now, where a whole bunch of Fed loosening policies have taken place uh, on the back of since the global financial crisis to uh, what happened during COVID, where the entire economy came to a, basically to a standstill and there was no inflation. And now that inflation is sticky, I think the Fed is doing the absolute right thing in terms of trying to put a real pause on the economy right now. So... As you rightly mentioned, you know, the markets were expecting no interest rate hike this time around. But in the messaging, there will be one more rate hike by the end of the year. And if you look at the dot plot, which is basically what the future expectations are of what the Fed is going to do in terms of increasing or decreasing interest rate, the first decrease in interest rate has now been pushed back to June of like mid of 2024. So uh, this just to give some guide to your listeners, uh, if you go back like say about nine months ago, when uh, the economy was a lot more wobbly, uh, there were a lot more discussions about a much quicker recession happening. The job market was also a bit of a question mark. It seems like somehow the Fed has kind of like threaded the needle through at this point of time. And hence, they can take a little bit more of a aggressive approach, I would say, to try to really stamp, clamp down on inflation. So interest rates are going to be higher for a lot longer. Uh, reduce, reduction in interest rates is not going to be happening for the foreseeable future, at least. Uh, and that just leads to, uh, you know, if you look at the two-year treasury, I think it's at its highest point since uh, all the way back in 2006 now. So you're talking about uh, wow. pretty, you know, close to 17 years of uh, 
two-year treasury is not seeing this point. Equities naturally collect a little bit more as per expectation. So, I mean, overall, though, I think the Fed is doing the right thing. Short-term volatility in equity markets is not uh, their mandate. It is to try to, like, stamp down inflation. And I think they've gotten their act together and they're doing the right thing. And the good news is the Fed does appear to be on that path for a soft landing. Uh, looks like the U.S. economy may avoid falling into a recession. Um, you mentioned those rising treasury rates. Tell us what this all means uh, for us, uh, some of us who might be bond investors. Yeah, so uh, look, I, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. For most listeners, sadly, we will not be receiving the benefits of interest rates being this high. What I mean by that is, if you look at like the average deposit rate that's being granted by various banks in Singapore, it's still quite abysmal. There are many platforms, and obviously, you know, do your own due diligence, figure out the risks of each platform, but there are many fintech platforms and other avenues out there which you can avail of on a quote-unquote as much of a risk-free base as possible to be earning closer to that 4 or 5% mark of your deposits. From a bond perspective, I think this is a great time to actually be investing, right? Spreading out your portfolio, taking upon yourself certain credit risk that you're comfortable with, okay. uh, which obviously means, you know, I would say like more double A, single A credit names out there in terms of some blue chip companies. Even going like further uh, along the tenor, like I don't think we need to be that short dated anymore of like six months to a year. Personally, I'm even more comfortable in my own portfolio taking like five year, 10 year positions at this point. Right. And that's just because, uh, look, whether you're at the peak or not, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think anyone can gauge that. But from a portfolio construction perspective, if you can earn close to seven, eight, closer to like single digit, closer to, you know, 10, 11% kind of returns, in this kind of an environment and locking that in for like a five, 10 year period, I think having a certain percentage of your portfolio allocated to that space at this point of time is great. I, as you know, was, you know, very anti-bonds for the longest period of time because where interest rates were, they just made no sense. Right. At this point of time, where inflation is having a certain amount of fixed income exposure, I think uh, from a risk reward perspective is quite attractive. Fantastic. Arun Pai is my guest this morning. We started the morning uh Looking at the world of tech IPOs, as you can imagine, uh, Clavio is high on my list. Uh, Clavio shares, uh, apparently we receive emails from this company all the time. We just don't know about it. So their shares popped uh, 20% above their issue price as soon as the stock started. And then after that, uh, quite soon gave back gains. Similar story with Instacart. Uh, Shares fell 10% after an initial pop. Uh, gave back its early gains. And we saw that with ARM as well. Uh, fell 4% overnight, by the way. Uh, and ARM shares are already well off its early highs. So the global IPO market we know has struggled since central banks started making capital more expensive. What is the state of the IPO market currently? Do you think we're at an inflection point with all these tech IPOs? Yeah, uh, you know, there are obviously two ways to look at this, right? First, let's go for the more if you're looking at this from a more negative lens perspective, the IPO markets have been brutal, right? They've basically been shut. I think the last couple of months, uh, things seem finally to be thawing. And there's still a big question mark. You mentioned uh, Clavio, right? This is a, it's a data and uh, data analytics and like marketing automation company. Uh, Shopify, one of the obviously very large publicly traded companies, uh, they own close to 10% of this uh, business. So if you're an independent brand, you're using Shopify's underlying infrastructure and tech to create your website and all sorts of like backend payment processing and everything else. Clavio is kind of like a plugin on top of that to help these individual uh, mom and pop or even like larger uh, retail outfits reach out to their customers. 
and that's to your point as to why you know we receive emails from these guys. They're, they're powered by uh, Clavio, um, but anyway, so, so that's basically the rough business model, right? You're talking about Instacart. Mm-hmm. You're talking about all of these privately traded companies until the last couple of months that were at some obscene valuation, right? I think uh, Instacart, if I'm not mistaken, was close to like four at uh, four times the valuation of what it received in the public market. Goodness. So there's been a huge correction where that, that the, the crazy punch bowl party that was taking place, especially in the late stage private market space, when you have to reveal everything uh, in the public market space, the valuations have been corrected. Right, so there's been a big rejiggle of sort uh, when companies have gone public in terms of valuation. That's more from the negative side. Mm-hmm. On the positive side, though, at least the way that I'm taking a look at this is contingent to these businesses being real businesses. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're not sitting over here six months down the line and the share prices have basically cratered like 99%, like uh, half of those SPAC businesses have. Contingent to that not happening, I think the beauty of public markets, especially like deep public markets like you can find in the US, is you can kind of, uh, at a steady state, the, the valuation of these companies tends to settle down. And with that, there, yes, there'll be a lot of pain to incur, especially in the late stage private market space. But the overall ecosystem will be better off wherein you've got like proper valuations in the public market space. You can do the right comparables. That sets the price and tone in the late stage pri- private market space. And that will eventually trickle down to the earlier stage private market space, which is where we at Monk's Hill play in. And it'll just be a healthy correction. So the fact that, you know, ARM is down like 10, 20, 30%, uh, Instacart, I think, is down like about 35%. It's still an $8 billion market cap business, right? Yeah. Uh, Clavio similarly finding its footing right now. As long as like no crazy fraud comes up, as long as these businesses keep chugging along, growing at with healthy unit economics, let there be the right sizing of the valuation based on what the public market says right now. I think overall from an ecosystem perspective, that will be extremely healthy. And this will eventually uh, you know, unleash the floodgate of a whole bunch of other really good quality private companies that are out there in the market right now, just waiting for these IPO markets to kind of thaw. And when that happens, you'll start seeing like much better quality businesses or more solid business fundamental companies coming out, IPOing. And, uh, you know, the, that's, that's the game that we're playing in. That's the capitalistic society that we're living in. And we need a healthy, functioning, open public market for that feedback loop to start closing where innovators see this, they can see a path to exit, they branch out of these public companies, start up their own new companies later, which eventually will hopefully IPO in the next eight, 10 years. And uh, we'll keep going through these uh, cycles. So from that perspective, I really do feel that some of these big names uh, and, you know, many thanks to ARM to uh, kickstart all of this has led to uh, hopefully the next, uh, definitely until the end of the year, but more so I would say 2024 is uh, looking a lot more attractive for uh, the IPO market. That is a great overview of the ecosystem. I mean, if you look at it, companies that have gone public since the pandemic have broadly underperformed uh, compared to the broader market, lagging the Russell 3000 by 48 percentage points over a 12-month period. Wait for things to thaw 
and maybe look to 2024. Uh, sounding optimistic there, Arun Pai. Let's talk about AI plays, Arun. Let's shift gears. Uh, we've witnessed so many companies active in the high growth sector see monster rallies. Um, you know, all you have to do is mention AI, it sounds, and, you know, the stock seems to pop. With so many companies entering the market, what do you think of Apple and Amazon uh, these days being termed as essentially AI plays? Um, I read an interesting article Motley Fool was where it was hosted um, that described Apple and Amazon as pretty much um, the, the play you want if you want exposure to AI. What do you make of that argument? I mean, if I had a crystal ball, then I think the real play to make in AI would be NVIDIA <laughs> a couple ah! of years back. Right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, th- th- that being said, look, I think um, the big advantage that large technology companies have at this point in time is they have the underlying quality or skill set of engineers, software programmers, and that mindset of looking to disrupt, right? Create new things, innovation, very broadly speaking, right? So from that perspective, I think large tech companies are placed very, very uh, at a position of strength to take advantage of this huge tailwind and this, you know, quote unquote, new technology, even though it's not new of generative AI and how it's going to truly disrupt the way uh, that we are doing things on a day-to-day basis right now. I think that's a big advantage that these large tech companies have. As compared to if you go, you know, back in the day, like the more industrial types of businesses or Let's talk about financial institutions, right? These guys had tremendous amounts of data of customers, and they still do. But the DNA, uh, for a variety of reasons, right? Like not bad-mouthing banks by any stretch of the means. I was there for 10 years. But just given the nature of much heavier regulation, given potentially the more short-term nature of incentives and all the other good and bad stuff, it is what it is, wherein financial institutions, just as an example of one sector, has not been able to truly disrupt itself. And you compare that to these technology companies that have been around and that have the advantage of being around for a much shorter period of time, uh, have a lot more like enigmatic and visionary founders. You might agree or disagree with them or whatever that might be, but they're always the aspect of it being like a day one or a day zero company, right? Like as Jeff Bezos uh, loves to proclaim that Amazon uh, is at this point of time. So putting that all back together right now, if you are a large technology company, you have the underlying human capital skill set. You have that inbuilt DNA that wants to try and create new things and disrupt new things. So from that perspective, I would broadly categorize large tech, uh, at least the better quality ones, are in definitely a very strong positioning right now to take full advantage of this new trend in artificial intelligence and really deploy that in every aspect of their business. We've seen that across the board. I think Salesforce had this huge event the last couple of days and they were showcasing how they're utilizing AI in every aspect of their business. Google, right? Like we use that a lot more actively on a day-to-day basis. You can see that when you're typing out emails, you can just press tab and suddenly the next three or four, four words uh, kind of comes up and it's giving you suggestions on what your email is going to be. Uh, Apple, very similarly, uh, but in done in a much more uh, privacy-friendly manner, I would say, as compared to the other business model of advertising uh, that Google is so uh, famous slash infamous for. So overall, I think it would be incorrect to try to write off these large tech companies saying that, oh, the, the more nimble, early stage generative AI slash AI startups have a huge edge in this market. Mm. Uh, that being said, though, I think if you talk about the AI 
like artificial intelligence technology as a whole, it brings about so much productivity enhancement to us as the end user. I think the various use cases and the various, in, be it industry disruptions or new business models that it will be creating, I think they're literally just in the first innings of that game right now. So there's a massive amount of white space for uh, the incumbent, be it large tech companies to play in, or for that matter, uh, early stage tech startups to try to claw into. Uh, so from that perspective, I'm, an, I'm a massive optimist in this area. And I join you. It's not just me. It's a whole bunch of other... <laughs> investors that have deployed tremendous amounts of capital in this space. So valuations are through the roof. But uh, for honestly, Michelle, you and I as end consumers, this is the most amazing time to do It really is. I mean, I mean, to your point, you know, don't write off the, the big tech guys. Apple and Amazon have delivered stock growth of over 800% in the last 10 years. I mean, look at Amazon and its e-commerce, its cloud computing and the profits there. So really solid long-term prospects. And I'm sure most of us would want to have these trillion-dollar club members in our portfolio, the Apple, the Microsofts, Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA. But if you want an AI play without a lofty price tag, is that possible? <laughs> uh, now, now, that's where investing becomes a lot more challenging, right? And or fun, whichever way you want to classify. I mean, let's look at uh, NVIDIA, for example, okay. right? It's such a challenging business to evaluate because, okay, A, obviously the price run-up has been phenomenal. Trading close to give or take, whichever multiple or whichever way you want to see it, close to like triple digit price to earnings multiple. But their growth for a business of this scale has been astounding, right? It's close to like 200% growth year on year. And this is not of a small base, right? Like when we look at early stage startup, you know, the 2x, 3x growth story from a very small base is something like par for the course. You just don't see that in these massive companies that have already achieved so much scale, which truly goes to show the infrastructure that is being, that, that has to be purchased. Businesses, big and small across the board, if they want to have a seat on this generative AI table, NVIDIA is pretty much the only game in town. Now, obviously, that being the way we work in capitalism is there's a whole bunch of uh, competitors that are now trying to breach that moat that NVIDIA has from very early stage startups to even later stage startups. So I think that that's an interesting place or area that from a risk reward perspective, there's some very clear visibility uh, into what the growth, into what the financial metrics of the company is going to be. So even at relatively high valuations on the back of the truly visionary founder CEO could be a very interesting place to park some assets. Some other interesting companies, like look at Arm, right? We were talking about like recent IPOs. Yeah. 50% of their revenue at this point of time is from Royal of product that were produced 20 years ago. You're kidding. So imagine a business where you're just sitting right now uh, you know, like uh, those those traditional money lenders or whatever. You're sitting right now, having given out a loan or done some kind of uh, sold your IP or licensed your IP out 20 years ago, and people are still paying you on an annual basis at this point of time, which is truly amazing, right? If you like think about it from a financial con- construct perspective, it's such a sticky 
business that people have been paying so much money for over the past 20 30 years you can gain kind of visibility into what's going to happen in the future so i think you know investing into this space it's like a barbell approach i would say okay on the one hand it early stage truly disruptive and obviously talking my book over here truly disruptive early stage technology startups in this space that's on one side and on the other side these really large tech behemoths where there's a very clear line of sight or visibility into how the next 2 to 3 years at least will pan out and whether that's justified for the valuations that you're going to be paying for right now i think apple is a fantastic business model it's probably you know like my number one or number two pick in the space uh nvidia is right up there also and uh for me at least if you had to run round up the top 3 uh for personally for me it would be a uh, google oh wonderful fantastic i can see people in the studio nodding their heads taking down notes thank you for the great <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much Aaron great insight. Yeah. Disclaimer in the beginning of your show said, yeah. right? Not <laughs> investment <Yeah>. advice. <laughs> Where's that voice? Here's that voice again. He's ready to roll. Aaron, thank you for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me as always, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O. Audio at the App Store and Google Play.